You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Upon this gifted age and in its dark hour falls from the sky a meteoric shower of facts. They lie unquestioned, uncombined. Wisdom enough to leech us of our ill is daily spun, but there exists no loom to weave it into fabric. Vince P. Baraba is the author of The Decision Loom, a design for interactive decision-making in organizations. Thank you for joining me, Vince. It's my pleasure to be here. Vince, you're the man who created OnStar. That's a pretty big deal. (laughs) And from that process, you learned some lessons. You were in an organization, GM, that was pretty hidebound, pretty set in its decision-making process, if it even had one. Talk about some of the lessons you learned in the process of creating OnStar. Well, one of the things that we had to overcome was that the company had a way of a financial model, and you always had to demonstrate that the revenue would exceed the, uh, the, uh, the cost, and, uh, which is a reasonable thing to do. But when you have an idea like OnStar, where the, a potential consumer doesn't fully comprehend what it actually would be because it was so new, it's like pretty much what people at Apple ran into with some of their ideas. Uh, we had to convince management, and they, they were convinced that they had, in essence, had to take an option on an idea and they would have to invest in getting this uh, idea into a vehicle so that people could experience it. And then based on that experience, we'd be in a much better position to say, well, you know, this is how, much of, uh, these, this is how many people we can get to subscribe to this activity. But just to do it out of the blue without experiencing it, and that's one of the reasons why when you, you get a GM car, you get a, a free uh, year subscription to OnStar because we wanted you to experience it so that when it came time to, to re-up, then you would. And it's not that much different than, I remember AOL used to get the discs in the mail, they were free, and that got you hooked. Well, that's, the, that's an age-old uh, process. Uh, the, the, the guy standing down on the street corner wearing a hat and sunglasses does the <laughs> same thing in a much less legal manner. Yeah. And one of the things that strikes me, too, for you, um, you were coming up with an entirely different model of um, economic gain. Uh, GM sells you a product, you pay, you get it, that's it. You were actually ahead of your time in a modeling, working on a subscription model, which is a continual stream of revenue. And it was interesting because, uh, you know, you had, to, you had to get a lot of people to buy into this. And, and, for example, you had to get the engineering organization, and particularly the ones who put all the electronics in the car, to, to take on this responsibility, which was kind of a, a major risk because you know they get measured on how many problems the customer runs into. And now we're coming with an entirely new system that's going to interact with all of the electronics of the car. And uh, we explained it and we explained it and they were very wary, but one of the engineers, uh, finally, the head of the engineering group, finally got up and says, you know, I think what Vince is trying to tell us is that there's a, uh, instead of charging the customer for the attribute at the time we sell it, we're going to let the customer have it for free, but every time they use it, 
a cash register rings back here at General Motors. <laughs> he <laughs> says, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> and I said, you know, for an engineer, you talk pretty clear. <laughs> and so that's, that's the kind of conversation that had to take place. Uh, tell us a little bit about the decision loom. You, you have, this book is set up with four lessons from your own experience, which it is wide and varied. Yes. And uh, then it, it comes up with some very interesting prospects for remaking decision-making processes within organizations. Yeah, and the key is to learn from your, learn from your experiences. Uh, most of the time when you make a decision, you move on to the next decision. And uh, one of my uh, mentors, a gentleman by the name of Russ Acoff, uh, came up with this idea of a decision record, where you actually wrote down exactly why you made decisions, the ideas that supported it, as well as those that rebutted it. At that point, it was up to, uh, uh, you then recorded that, and then you waited till the decision was implemented. And after it was implemented, you went back and say, now, did we achieve what we expected to do? Now, when you looked at that, if you did achieve, you say, okay, let's record that, and let's we can now assume that those assumptions held up over time. If we didn't achieve it, then you would say, well, wait a minute, which of the assumptions didn't hold up? But now you have that information, and you put that into your entire system, that if anybody's making another decision, that old assumption that used to be a good one, it's not as good as it used to be. And that then causes you to look forward and avoid making mistakes based on having made a mistake. Well, that seems uh, like a, a really wise and, and smart thing that somebody <laughs> should have thought of long ago. Well, it, it, if you think about it, you know, most people in large companies, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they make a decision, they get whatever they, you know, did on the basis of that decision, they move on to their next assignment. Sure. Yeah. And so then they're working on something else, and then all of that history and that learning is sometimes lost. And uh, so... It, it, you would have thought this was the case, but you know, for a long time, and this is why the book is written the way it is, there, we used to believe in the, in the old saying that you know, past is prologue. Mm -hmm. So if you knew what happened in the past, you had a pretty good idea what was going to happen in the future. And you can remember those charts. If you had you know, all the points of activity of the past three years, you draw a line through it, and, and that was a pretty good indication of what would happen in the next three. Today, we know that what happened in the last three years ain't going to happen in the next three years because everything is changing. And so the need to address this more fully and not rely on our, our past records is becoming more and more apparent for a lot of companies. Through the, your years of experience, you developed a vision of what you call the four capabilities. Yeah. And these are these four um, uh, virtues of an organization that help it achieve a reasonable decision-making strategy. Tell us what those are and how okay. you came about them. Yeah, and the other thing is, to understand a capability, most people would identify, we have this resource available. You know, a capability is something you're really good at. So if you say, now we do market research and we, we have that, but if you're not using it effectively, that's not a capability, that's a resource. <laughs> so when we talk about a, a capability, it means something that your that firm has to be really good at. And that doesn't mean just a business firm. It could be a a public uh, organization as well. If he says, you know, I spent some time in, in the federal government mm -hmm. as well at the United States Census Bureau. Right. Uh, so the first thing is that is the enterprise has to act in a holistic manner. That is, it has to think about the system of interacting parts of the organization rather than how we are normally organized into sometimes referred to as silos, the, you know, the finance organization, manufacturing, engineering. In systemic thinking, you're more interested in how these parts interact 
because you want to create a whole that is greater than the sum of the parts. And, uh, and so thinking holistically is a, is a capability that a firm must have, particularly today. Uh, the enterprise must also have a mindset that's open to change. In the book, I refer to the situation at Kodak where in 1980, we pointed out quite clearly they had about 10 years to really get ready for a digital takeover of photography. And, and the evidence, you know, the good news was it's going to take 10 years. The bad news was it's going to happen. And Kodak actually had all the technology to make it happen, including most of the patents, with some of which they're selling now. But the problem was he had this giant Kodak park, which made film and, so, and, uh, and paper better and faster than anybody in the world. And so how do you get rid of that park? It's a mile square and four stories high. Uh, so that mindset of, oh, the park is the best thing we own, really got in the way of preparing to make the fundamental change that was required. So instead of replacing silver, uh, silver halide technology, they tried to use digital technology to improve it, which they did, but eventually it got superimposed. So the notion of a mindset that accepts change. The other thing you want to do is there's changing business conditions. You know, there was a time when you could say, well, look, at I, it's going to take, uh, we're likely to be able to sell a million of these over the next three years. The cost of the capital is X, and uh, so let's build a factory that makes a million of these really efficiently over the next three years, and we'll go ahead and we'll make them and then we'll sell them. Now, if you guess strong as to whether you're going to sell a million or not, uh, if, you, if you guess wrong and you actually sold, could sell four million, then you're, you've lost some opportunity. If you can only sell two million, now what are you going to do with, the, with that capacity? Well, you reduce the price of the vehicles or product, whatever it might be. So that was called the make and sell mentality. Today, it has to be more of a, of a sense and respond. Now, that's easier to say than it is to do because now, so I'm sensing and all of a sudden somebody changes their mind, but I've already started working on fixing the factory. So what that says, is I have to build flexibility in the production process. Now, so you have to more. plan for change. That's right. And, and that means that, that's a more expensive production process. Mm -hmm. But it's cheaper <laughs> in the long run than having more product than people want to buy. Or less. Yeah, or less. That's correct. And then the, uh, the other one is to have a, what I would call the, um, an interactive decision-making uh, policy. And by that I mean you have to have a range of tools that help you make your decisions. And, and I categorize the kind of tools you need into tools that are really good at uh, increasing the interaction of the parts, the companies, individuals, creating a dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, tools that are, uh, that are designed to allow creativity to come forward rather than being you know, uh, uh, re restricted because of the, of the rules. So you need creative developing tools. And then you need tools that actually can do strong analytics to actually carry some of this stuff forward. And unfortunately, a lot of companies will lock in on a tool, and uh, like a you know return on, on investment as the basic tool, and and that's not a bad tool, but it's not sufficient for all the decisions that need to be made. So unless you have these four capabilities, and by the way, I'm sure there are other capabilities depending on what kind of a firm you're in, and some of these may not be necessary, but I think they all are. But for in some firms, it may need some additional capabilities because of the environment in which they're working, or particularly if you're in a, a, a government organization, you might want to add some things. But if you have those, and the thing you remember is all these interact with each other. 
So again, it's taking a holistic look at it. For example, if you if you have uh, a, uh, a, a, a uh, you're thinking holistically, but you're not really good at changing your mindset because Kodak was getting pretty good at thinking holistically about the system and how it was interacting with their customers. But sure, they could figure out. Change. Yeah, they could figure out how they how they could improve their product using the digital technology, oh, but they yeah. couldn't. Which is a good, you know. That's kind of holistic thinking, but they couldn't get outside the box to think, replace the whole product. And the sad part was, if you think about the history of, uh, of, of the founder of the company, uh, George Eastman, I mean, he twice replaced his technology with what he saw to be a better technology. He twice did that. <laughs> and so here they were with all the capabilities of making the change, and they chose not to. And uh, I, had, I left in 85 when I went to work at General Motors. It was really sad for me to see what was happening because, and they had some people there who understood it, but they weren't the ones selected to lead the company. I've been speaking with Vince Barava. His new book is The Decision Loom. It's a design for interactive decision-making in organizations. He'll be appearing at Capitola Book Cafe on Tuesday, March 20th at 7.30 p.m. Thank you for joining me, Vince. It was my pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.